and welcome to In Conversation With, a podcast from the Lancet Regional Health Western Pacific. It's August 2023 and I'm Jashelle Kaga. This month I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Rennie Chin, former research fellow at the Program in Global Surgery and Social Change at Harvard Medical School and a general surgery trainee from New Zealand, currently based in Wanganui Hospital, as well as Dr. Kiki Mawate, paediatric surgeon at Christchurch Hospital and Associate Dean Pacific, Christchurch School of Medicine, University of Otago. Dr. Mawate is president of the Pacifica Medical Association Group and deputy chair of the Global Health Section, Royal Australasian College of Surgeons. My guests acknowledge the contribution of the authors, and in particular, Lord Viliami Tangi, Senior Surgeon, Kingdom of Tonga, Fellow of the Royal Australasian College of Surgeons, as the corresponding author. Today, we will be discussing their recently published research on surgical care capacity in five Pacific Island countries, Fiji, Vanuatu, Tonga, Palau, and Cook Islands. Kiki, can you describe some of the unique challenges in providing surgical care in the Pacific Island countries? Yes, no, the first thing is to say that the the Pacific region or the Pacific Ocean is unique in itself anyway. And and before we get into the details of the study, it's a broader perspective about the nature of the Pacific and the nature of the Pacific countries. Um, the first thing is that it's, we live in a sea and, and the variations amongst that. We have 22 Pacific Island countries that's represented at the Ministers of Health Forum within the WHO or the Wipro group. And so within that are the variations of the size from 15,000 to Papua New Guinea, like eight, nine million, but each one with a unique jurisdiction as a standalone country or affiliated with one of the bigger nations like France or the US or the UK. So those are the, I guess, the distinct entities. And in a way, we're like one of the bigger uh, European Union type of association where we all live in a group, but with, uh, with distinct you know, to say jurisdictions and behaviors, um, they go with it. But one of the things about the Pacific is actually the beauty is is always there. It's beauty is not just about the beautiful countries, but also the warmth uh, within the Pacific and also the warmth of the people. Uh, and over the time, this uh, we will need to come back to this because those some of those jurisdictions are quite interlinked and interrelated. If you take, say, Tonga and Fiji, where the wars have gone on in the past, including Samoa and that group, the kinship goes back so far that when people move across these countries, whether it be in health sector, whether in the sectors or governments, there's actually close relationships to make those things effective and make it um, whatever they're trying to do together or alone can be assisted by these long, the kinships and the same with Cook Islands and Tahiti uh, and, and New Zealand. There are actually some similarities in the kinship across those where families live across uh, and can actually move move um, between the borders and relate to uh, the the activity. So so there's a, there's a whole you know all those sort of things. When I look at um, the family values in the Pacific, it makes it so that our practices in delivering health services and health uh, outcomes must go with family values, not as the individuals. Which which when you come to the bigger countries, 
it is about more how the individuals perform. Whereas in the Pacific, if you look at it from a family perspective, the families look after the health of the family, of the village, of the country. Uh, and sometimes some of those things are actually uh, slows down progress in that people's minds because it actually restricts the, the movement of resources specifically for what someone wants to do because you want to share the resources. And one of the sayings that I've always remembered sitting for my, for my family and my father is that we should be sharing the knowledge, we should be sharing the resources, and if we're actually true to form about all the developments in the Pacific, which even relates to what we're trying to talk about today, if we shared the resources, some of the um, things we could actually improve on and do better could actually be resolved quite simply by adequately resourcing or by adequately assisting with workforce development, uh, infrastructure development, rather than the bits and pieces that each country or donors and sponsors uh, come into the countries to provide. So there are, I mean, there's uniqueness, there's similarities, but I think as a, as a place to work in, absolutely unique. The, the friendship we develop, the ability of people to get on with each other and have fun is is really pretty cool. Mm. So there's my start. Oh, that, and I think that sums up, you know, this such important work that you've done and the importance of those family and those cultural values in terms of developing, you know, locally tailored um, solutions. Benny, um, what, um, in your research, what were some of the key differences and commonalities in uh, surgical capacity across the, uh, the countries that you found? Yeah, so I think Kiki has already mentioned a lot of the commonalities be between the Pacific Island countries. It's really um, difficulty accessing quite specialized services. So in terms of maintenance of complex equipment, mm -hmm. specialty surgical services and also radiology and pathology. And we do see a very strong theme of regional collaboration, which, you know, like Kiki has mentioned, is fundamentally rooted in history and culture and Pacific values. And I think in global health, we talk about deficits quite a lot, but we don't talk about strengths. And I think regional collaboration is definitely um, a strength of the Pacific. I think an another thing, like you mentioned, Giselle, is um, the fact that local context is really important. And I think that's something that's come out of our data. You know, the facility assessment forms we use, they've been applied across the world. They can be interpreted in lots of different ways. So I, I think the key is that the data interpretation is in the eye of the beholder. And our data was interpreted with close you know, it was led by countries with um, lots of local stakeholder involvement. And each country is different. So, for example, you know, in Tonga, the infrastructure has been upgraded. Workforce is their main challenge. But in Fiji, you know, they've trained a lot of specialists recently, but the infrastructure is behind population growth. So I think a key message is that there isn't a one-size-fits-all solution. Local contextualization is really important. And I think that, you know, that puts an emphasis on country-led programs rather than, you know, external experts coming with universal solutions. Yes. And I and I, I know that in particular um, your research really um, the novelty of it was examining that cross-country um, regional comparisons and to really, you know, pinpoint those commonalities and, and, and differences um, in the surgical care capacity. Um, and as you said, you know, this, you know, informs, you know, policy, it, it aids policymakers to develop these tailored 
and solutions based on um, in in country researchers or in in their experiences. So how 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 do your findings contribute towards um, strengthening surgical systems in in many countries which have um, you know limited resources? So just uh, the, the the you started the conversation on policy, and I think um, there's no doubt that information collated like this will contribute not just to the national policy, which is uh, what Tarini was alluding to, to be contextualizing all that, but also it alludes to the regional policies with the funding systems that have. So a study like this allows, you know, allows the comparisons, as you say, and also shows if you just look at transport and access, mm-hmm. um, that the countries like the Cook Islands have a well-developed uh, transport system, particularly aviation. And and um, and 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 seaworthy boats, and same with Fiji and then Vanuatu. There's aviation there, but not not as uh, rapid to allow that access to happen. So so that comparison at at a, at a regional level, it's hugely beneficial because we've got 17 other countries actually who look at that and say, actually, we want this information and we want to see where we are uh, in amongst the the max. And when we come to a global meeting, like the, like the one that's going to be held in Thailand in September, which is the health ministers, they can say, hang on, what, where do we sit amongst, uh, the framework of what everybody else is doing? And recently we were able to introduce the transport as one of the policy frameworks for the health ministers and here's a health to take forward, which they're now trying to implement about sea, land and, and, and air to to enable these sort of activities to happen. Um, so from a regional policy, absolutely what we want. And now Papua New Guinea did a similar with the Solomons, I think it was 2015, highlighting similar things, but there's not so much, I guess, enough just to highlight, but you need to take it forward and bring it to a forum. And so we can now say that there's seven countries who's had the assessment process and showcasing in comparison. And I would hope that other countries would, would want this to be completed in their countries. In in the in the context of a policy framework for individual countries, I think it's important that donors also interpret. And I just we talk, just talking about this earlier, in terms of um, say the Cook Islands, for example, the SA, SAOs in the Cook Islands is you know high, and within the uh, the Lancet Commission indicators, um, and so there's the number of operations, but they're a very small country, and the extrapolation of data. So what we don't want is the interpretation of data by policies or sponsors to say that's enough. We don't need to keep supporting that strongly. You actually got to go into the country to see what that what that actually means. So so important for data, not just for the country to look at it, but also informing the donors that these areas are crucial for the maintenance of our workforce, our infrastructure, and and the services. And I've just got a few other things here to say. One of the things that we need to have, given the push for primary care within the WHO framework in World Health, that's actually crucial as a main one of the main pivots in leading to the essential surgical services and acute emergency. And if we don't have primary care sorted out, our entry point into surgical services, there's going to be difficult right from the word go. And in in fact, we need that front end to dovetail into the you know primary, secondary, tertiary. So then continue and, and, and then we can actually relook at the workforce and say our workforce needs to fit to the model of care that we actually want. So, so the data uh, is, 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 is great to see the data, 
uh, and then the interpretation to make sure that the policy at all levels uh, within government, across region and across fronts uh, is taken uh, with context. Yes, absolutely. In 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 the uh, you know, these assessments are essential, I guess, in in identifying those, um, you know, health systems, as you said, constraints and and opportunities. Um, and particularly, you mentioned the primary healthcare system. Well, there's been a, a significant development in rural health medicine, both across Australia with the Akram and and Canada and in New Zealand. And that's moving across to enable isolated practitioners or practitioners to be supported to undertake some of the emergency surgical practices that are that are necessary for in that in that context. So so that's one of the things that we are also looking in, into the in, into the regional programs to say how does primary care, which everybody needs, is so underdeveloped, and yet we're we're looking at the surgical services at the next level up. But how do we actually get those two to mix and enable that whole workforce as a spectrum to allow um, not only to evolve our services, to evolve the infrastructure, but actually to be able to use the infrastructure to actually, you know, manage and treat and and prevent the health of the families that we are looking after. Yeah, I think in terms of this research as well as policy implication, I think another thing that's quite interesting is that there is theoretical implication as well. And I think there's a lot of a lot of things that health systems in high income countries can also learn from low and middle income countries. I think like what Kiki has talked about in terms of primary care, in a lot of surgical system frameworks around the world, primary care is actually not included and pre-hospital transport is actually not included in a lot of the insult frameworks. So I think this is an example in which this is really, it's driven by the countries, it's driven by the value of the region. And I think from this work, um, so going forward, we are analyzing individual countries' quantitative and qualitative data in more detail, which is led by um, researchers in each individual country with our support. Um, and I think especially from the qualitative data, I think there will be potential for a framework for surgical care, you know, in remote settings, which is, I think, more holistic in what we see from the dominant Western frameworks. Yes, absolutely. And that cohesiveness in, in you know, and strengthening the healthcare system in general um, is, is a really important point. Um, thank you. So I think you've really touched on the last question. And that is, you know, what is next for this line of research? Um, and what, I guess, um, what do you hope to achieve in the next uh, three to five years, for example? Yeah, so I think we've kind of talked about a lot of this already, but this work is primarily based in policy. You know, it's led by policy. Research is just a side product. I think the next step is really, yeah, for further in-depth analysis of quantitative and qualitative data to be led by in-country researchers. So I'm currently working with my peers who are surgical registrants in Fiji, and we are analyzing the data together. Yeah, and I think I think what we are looking at is really a strength-based approach to formulating policy solutions, um, looking at some of the unique strength of the Pacific region, like Kiki has spoken about, the connectivity between the islands, collaboration. And also, I think there's a real sense of wanting to bring care close to people, so having more flexibility, having more mobility, more outreach. Um, 
So yeah, so I'm hoping that the an alternative kind of health framework, which is based on the cultural values of the region, I, I'm hoping that that will come through through um, more in-depth research down the line. Well, that I think that just is a great summary of how important you know your research and in, in, in this future research that you're conducting is, um, you know, really culturally tailored you know, interventions to inform policy, but led by in-country researchers, which is, you know, wonderful to see. So And I and I and I think Shell the 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 crucial component as well in addition to all this is is the feedback of this information to the table, to the ministers of health in the region, the ownership and also the head to health. So that's how we circulate so that we they know what, what's happening. It's the information and uh, we should be um, all part of it. Absolutely. And it's evident yeah, the evidence the evidence base is there and, and it's in it, it's driving that policy. So I think it's really wonderful research and you know what I know we're looking forward to hearing more. Um and especially um, you know, the qualitative studies, I think they just provide such a rich you know, understanding of, you know, as you said, those cultural values and how that fits into, you know, health systems, you know, health seeking behavior is, is really important. So um, I thank you both um, for joining me. Is there any other comments or um, any other take-home messages that you would like to to say? More from my point of view, I'd like to, to thank uh... Uh, Rennie actually and for all the hard work she's done and in leading the, the research and, and the energy of her and our country counterparts who have come together to uh, enable this piece of work to be uh, pulled together and presented for us to see uh, and I hope that uh, it, well I don't hope for I guess you know it will make differences to uh, these particular countries and I suspect it will make a useful contribution to other countries who want to uh, participate in a project like this. Thank you. Absolutely. And thank you for your time, Michelle. You can read Dr. Chen and Dr. Mawate's research online now at the Lancet Regional Health Western Pacific.com. Thank you to Dr. Chin and Dr. Mawate. And thank you for listening to this episode of In Conversation With. Remember, you can subscribe to In Conversation With the Lancet Regional Health wherever you usually get your podcasts.